watch cartoons We'll take a look back at where we've been So let's hop into our time machine Hello and welcome to another episode of Cartoon Time Machine. I'm Scarlett. I'm Katie. We're your animates and welcome to another one of our creator spotlights. Uh, this is one of the episodes where we decide to focus on the work of a creator in animation uh, who we really admire and we want to highlight all the great work that they've done. Um, and today, uh, in honor of his new movie coming out this week, uh, we are going to talk about Henry Selick, the visionary uh, filmmaker. Uh, I think it's fair to call him the father of stop motion animation. Uh, although I guess father implies like the first, uh, the patron saint of stop motion animation. There we go. I was going to say, that, we've had stop motion for a long time. I mean, I've talked about our favorite, my favorite thing, Czech puppetry on this podcast before. You have, and it's terrifying, and I regret letting you show it to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, stop motion animation is one of those mediums that has been so intrinsically linked to the uh, industry, the, the medium of film, uh, really since the dawn of filmmaking in general, stop motion has needed to be there to fill in the gaps between what they could film and what was pure fantasy. Um, and, you know, it, it took a while for us to get to the point of making feature length stop motion. Um, there were, we had several, uh, 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 TV shows that were stop motion. We've talked about Gumby on the show before. I think we're both both Gumby fans. Um, but, He's but I so think clay. I I think it's fair to say that that Henry Selick is really the the one who brought stop motion animation into the forefront of uh, the industry as something that could be a full uh, feature length film. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas certainly was. Uh, certainly what was one of the first ones to really bring it into the mainstream and you know I say mainstream you know stop motion animation is still just because of the amount of effort it takes to make a movie of that caliber um still very rare compared to other animated movies we might go two or three years without a mainstream American stop motion film uh yes Katie I was just curious what we count as feature length um, over 72 minutes, I think, maybe, is a pretty common So, standard. in which case, the first one technically is a... Uh, can I go on my rant about different Please. types of stop motion? Please uh, go so, on early on, you get, you get cut out in puppetry, as I have talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, the first two, I would say, that bre breach that with 75 minutes are two puppet films. One is called The Crab with the Golden Claws from Belgium. Uh, wait, and wait, the other... Hmm? What year oh, 1947. 1947, so early. And the other one is a Czech puppetry film. Fantastic. Czech year, a.k.a. A Treasury of Fairy Tales. Um, okay. Also on this list, if you're just curious, there are so many Czech films. I'm not that surprised when you told me about Czech cinema. They really like their puppets. Um, I'm looking for the first claymation, though. Yeah, that could that could sort of be uh, 18 uh, nineteen eighty five, with the Adventures of Mark Twain, aka Comet Comet Quest, coming in at eighty six minutes. Wow. Okay. So um, there were a couple before this, but again, you're not gonna find a lot that are, um, 
very well known before. Right. I mean, the fact that this was yes. released by Disney, this was a fairly big budget for an animated Actually, film. You know what are probably the other, the best known ones prior to um, this one? Your Rangham Bass Christmas specials. Well, those aren't really feature length movies. No, but I'm saying overall in, in, right, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in pop and claymation movies, those are going to be your big ones until this comes out at a longer length. Right. I mean, I think, right. I think in terms of what was, what was mainstream, what was considered profitable, uh, certainly what was American. I mean, it sounds like a lot of that list is, is, uh, international film, um, which again, not to, not to say that there's anything wrong with international film, um, but just from our perspective as dumb Americans, um, or my perspective as a dumb American, you, you are very worldly, Katie. Um, this was the nightmare, uh, was really brought, uh, the, this whole medium into the public consciousness. And it is something that um, I think at the time, a lot of people had really never seen before. And certainly going back to look at it, it, you know, it still feels like it, it holds up so wonderfully and is so beautiful in, in ways that, that you can't quite recapture with any other form of animation. So kudos to, to Henry Selleck. Uh, yes, Henry Selleck uh, for directing it. And I, I, I feel like this is now like common, like, trivia for people like oh who directed nightmare before christmas and like everyone's first impulse is that was tim burton but like then you have us you know film majors oh that was an excited reaction katie what's going on that was just going false yes yes it's we we i feel like film majors exist uh primarily to correct people when they say that nightmare was directed by tim burton um, because apparently from what I've seen and heard, Tim Burton like had the idea for the story, wrote up some concept art, uh, pitched it to Disney, and they, after some many years of struggle, finally were like, okay, just go ahead and do it. Um, at which point, uh, Burton had moved on over to Warner Brothers, where he was making uh, Batman 1989, and just kind of let Henry Selleck and the rest of his team run that production. And if anything, it seems like Tim Burton came in and just kind of was mean to people um from from what i've seen uh, i think i think he and henry selig are still friends or at least friendly um but everything i've heard about the production is no, tim burton was very hands-off and whenever he was there it was not really to improve the quality of the film um which is why it does stink that it is you know officially known as tim burton's nightmare before christmas um obviously by by the time it came out in was it 1993 that yes, 1993. Golden, a golden age for Disney released uh, Halloween movies. This was also the same year Hocus Pocus came out. Um, but uh, but yeah, when it when uh, when he, uh, I've completely forgotten what I was about to say because I got so distracted by Hocus Pocus. Where was I? Uh, 1993, Nightmare Before Christmas came out. Something something. I stopped I watching. That might have been the end of my point. That might have absolutely been the end of my point. Oh, I was going to say that by by 1993, uh, Tim Burton was, if not quite a household name, certainly was recognizable enough that you'd want to put him li literally in the, your film's title. Um, at that point, he'd done Beetlejuice. He'd done Edward Scissorhands. Uh, he he was he was moderately well known. I think he'd done mm -hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure by then. Um, so many of, of the actors who starred in that movie appear in this movie. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. I, I love Nightmare and, and it's, it's your, it's your, is it your favorite movie or just your favorite Christmas Halloween movie? I think it is my favorite childhood movie. You know, you have to categorize your movies in some ways when you pick your favorites. Um, because like I have my favorite real cinema. 
<laughs> like, yeah. Favorite reel, favorite like artsy. No one else is gonna like this, but I love it. Uh, your trash cinema. Um, for me, it's consistently watching Pitch Perfect too many times. That's always wild to me that that's like one of your favorite things. I would never expect that of you, but that's that's why women. It's... <laughs> fair, fair. And like okay. your favorite childhood film, mine is Nightmare. I mean, it's just <laughs> such a good movie. It's just the vibes I've always, I never wanted, I was not ever good enough at using clay to know that I would like go and study it's claymation stop motion, but by God, I wish we, we tried to, nice. <laughs> we got so close. We, we, I had a script, you had a vision, we were going to make this work. <laughs> I feel like approximately every... Cool. 15 episodes of this podcast we reminisce on how we almost made that film and instead we went ghost hunting you know i feel like if we get popular enough on this podcast we can start a kickstarter to fund this movie ourselves i'm just saying it was gonna be german expressionism and stop motion i was gonna live out my czech puppetry dreams probably in the end and i made up weird symbolism and then decided what it meant the way most we also have some great quotes involving crocodiles and breaking into disney that came from our like writing this way too late at night yeah uh looking back at our brainstorming notes it probably it probably looks like we're on more illicit substances than we actually were what we were on was lack of sleep <laughs> lack of sleep and a long summer of me harassing you it was a good summer anyway uh back, back to henry Selick. um yeah Night nightmare before christmas i feel like encapsulates so much of what would be uh henry Selick's like signature style i think I, what I really admire about it is I, I love the childishness of it. I think there is a, for all that there is, is creepy stuff, for all that there is, you know, moments of horror, um, for all that there is a very real adult existential crisis that is the center of the movie. It's, it's one man's midlife crisis, the movie. Um, I just, I think there's something so wonderfully whimsical about it that I think just is what often so much of Henry Selleck's work, even when it focuses on really dark elements. It's just got so much childhood wonder in it. That's a whole part of the plot is childhood wonder. Well, I think I think just even like the opening narration really mm-hmm. sums that up. It's, you know, when you're in the forest, like, have you ever wondered where holidays come from? Like, that's the sort of weird question that only a child would ask. Like, an adult with a fully formed concept of how the world works would never ask that question, much less think, yeah, there's a different world for every holiday. And yet that's what happens in that in that wondrous moment where we're transported. And then from that moment on, we don't question this. I think that's what's beautiful is I think there is a, a not as skillfully made film where everyone is just pointing out plot holes. Like if there's a whole world of holidays, where do they come from? Like, what are the trees for? I have never in my life heard anyone, even in the darkest corners of the internet, ask that question. I've only seen people be like, I wonder what you know, Arbor Day town would look like. Like people want to see more of this weird concept. No one is picking it apart because I think it just falls into that inexplicable childhood whimsy that you'd be silly to try to question. I mean, I feel like the the best, the be- if we had to take one photo to explain the movie, the screenshot I would pick is Jack's face with, filled with wonder when he first sees the Christmas tree inside in the snow. That's the image I immediately get. I'm like, that's the vibes. That's it. Or him like holding the snowflake in his hand. Like, I think that's yeah. like, that, you know, classic used in, in, in art. Yeah, I think, right. It's 
it is wonder at what's new. And I think I, I like that the, that I guess mild spoilers for Nightmare Before Christmas, but like, what are you doing here? If you haven't seen Nightmare, go watch Nightmare. What's wrong with you? Who um, hasn't seen Nightmare? I, 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 every time I rewatch it, I am more struck by how wonderfully profound and layered the ending is because I feel like I see it in a slightly different light every time I watch it. Like, I think when I was a kid, the moral was kind of like, don't mess with other people's business. Like, just stay out, stay out of other people's business, like stick to your lane, um, which was kind of delightful in and of itself because I think that's a very off off brand moral for like most most of the stuff we're taught as kids is sharing is caring and you can do whatever you want but like Jack Skellington cannot be Santa Claus and he learns at the end I will never be Santa Claus I am objectively bad at this people fear me and I hate this and I'm gonna go back to what I'm good at um which as a kid, you're just sort of like, that's a weird moral, but like, I love it because this movie's so quirky and offbeat and I love that this is not the usual message people try to tell me, despite the fact that this makes perfect sense. Um, but like the the more I watch it, I feel like a lot of it is just about like that sort of well-meaning cultural appropriation that people like sometimes get themselves into. And like, I guess like I'm sort of like reading too hard into it, but like, I love that moment of, you know, him at the end, just, you know, being like, he starts off with the sense of like, just because I, I don't, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I can't believe it, which like in the moment is like a really jubilant thing of like, I can pretend I can fake my way through this. I'll fake it till I make it. And like, that's kind of the spirit of that moment. But like, then by the end, it's his fundamental lack of understanding is what tears this all down. Had he actually spent the time talking to Santa Claus and understanding the holiday and knowing what it's actually about he probably would have been a very successful santa claus but he doesn't understand it he, he cannot he has not he has done only a surface level research and he has tried to take it for himself versus share it with the people who are currently enjoying it um so i don't know again maybe i'm like reading too deep into it but like i just i i love i i love how again layered that message is that there is something very complex underneath the very simple and childlike story that I think it's it's a cautionary tale that I think most adults don't understand entirely that if you want to do and not just like cultural appropriation stuff if you want to do literally anything in life you better be darn sure you understand everything about it or you're going to make a fool of yourself yeah, and this film also gave us Oogie Boogie, who still gives me the heebie-jeebies to this day. But I do have dice like his dice for when I play scary games. Oh, that's rad. That's that's so cool. Yeah, the the, the one thing I do wish about Nightmare, like if I, 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 it feels like completely wrong to try to criticize Nightmare because it is so good. It is a very short movie and I normally, I don't mind movies being short. I'm like the queen of why is this movie two hours? Should have been 90 minutes, grr. But like, maybe if this had been a cool 90 minutes, we could have had one scene of Jack interacting with Oogie Boogie before the climax. Cause like, it always strikes me as super abrupt, the climax of this movie. Cause like the emotional, the emotional climax for Jack is when he has his lament in the graveyard and he realizes that like he actually loved being the pumpkin king and he's going to you know go back and save santa claus and everything's gonna be fine but like he's already had his emotional epiphany so everything after that point is like it's all external plot we've already resolved the emotional plot um 
So because those things are staggered, everything that comes after feels like it holds less weight because like Jack has already fulfilled his whole storyline, which had nothing to do with Oogie Boogie. Um, so it would have been nice to have some kind of beef established between Jack and Boogie other, other than people just saying Jack doesn't like Oogie Boogie, like, which is sort of what we get throughout the movie. Like it is established. I'm not saying it comes out of nowhere, but like it would be nice to have one scene with the two of them together. Um, and also I feel like Oogie Boogie might've been really hard to animate. So I'm wondering if like that was also part of it. Cause he's like so weird and lumpy and burlappy. Um, I wonder if maybe that was part of why they were trying to cut down on scenes with him there. Uh, or if they just didn't have time because stop motion is such a painstaking process. And it takes like for like three seconds of, of film time, it takes like five days to animate. But yeah. But don't worry, we get more villains in later work that they interact with more and are even creepier somehow. Would you like to to transition into into another one of his films to to highlight? He hasn't made many. That's what makes it really nice for Creator Spotlight is well, that including his upcoming film, <laughs> Wendell and Wild, he's made like five. <laughs> well, if we're going chronologically, unfortunately, uh, next is James and the Giant Peach, which I have watched once and remember uh, is not, has, as usual, Pretty scary looking animation simply because sometimes clay looks really creepy. Not as scary. I I really like uh, James and the Giant Peach. I haven't seen it in so long, but the book, the Roald Dahl book, was one of my favorites as a kid. Um, I like I like that uh, the movie is a is a combination of live action and stop motion. Um, I think that that's a really effective way at showing your real world versus your magical world. Um, and the, the book actually sticks to like a weird degree of realism, um, just sort of why I liked it as a book, but as a film, uh, it's much more visually interesting um, when you're, you know, and, and by realism, of course, there's still giant bugs in the book. Um, it's not, it was not realistic. It's a Roald Dahl book, but like, I think there was like a groundedness that Henry Selleck's wonderfully magical, glowing Technicolor world uh, really, really helps uh, re uh, bring to life. Um, James looks really creepy when he is in his stop motion animated form. And I love that about him. I love that he had, I think it would have been very easy to keep him as a little boy um, interacting with the giant bugs, but it gives him like a kinship with them. Like they're all the outcasts and freaks living together in this peach. Um, also the peach is like so wonderfully gooey um, like mm -hmm. in the book. Like, I'm just like, okay, like they're all like singing about how much they love the peach. I was like, yeah, peaches are like good, I guess. I like a peach, peaches are good. Um, but in the movie, when it's like slimy and sticky and like just looks like childhood memories of a peach cobbler, you're like, yes, like I can see why they're singing a song about this because that is a one delicious looking peach. Uh, I, I remember the peach being nice. I really wish Call Me By Your Name hadn't ruined peaches forever. Um, <gasps> yeah. I, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking it, so now you have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think James the Giant Peach is probably his uh, least uh, fondly remembered uh, film. Again, he didn't make a lot, so over his next film. Um. Oh yeah. No, I, I I haven't even seen his next film, and I've heard bad. I things was gonna say, it. have you seen Monkey Bound? I have not, have you seen Monkey Bone? I have not seen Monkey Bone, but apparently a lot of people happen, haven't, and the film didn't do well. 
Yeah, I mean, I it's that's another uh, combination live action stop motion. Yeah, everything I've heard about it has been this is like a weird Roger Rabbit, but like darker romp. Um, and it sounds sounds like I don't need to see it. Um, it yeah, it has it has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty bad. Uh, I get yeah, the so sense that probably the worst. Yeah, I mean, I get the, I get the sense that like this was like this is so obviously the odd man out for Henry Selick's very short filmography. Um, my guess is that he probably had relatively little uh, to do with some of the live action elements and was mostly there for the stop motion, which from what I've heard is pretty good. It's just that like the rest of the plot and story is a mess apparently. Um, let's see who who wrote it. It was it was written by the same guy who did the Batman movies in the eighties and nineties. Um, so good, good for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I don't know why I took on that one. I guess, you know, look, there were, there was 13 years, uh, between, uh, James and Giant Peach and his next film Coraline. He had to, he had to make some money somehow. I, I imagine that was just him sort of just trying to, trying to keep himself afloat while he was doing that. Well, and after that one, he went and did some work with Wes on his stuff not for very long but that makes sense he did life aquatics um sea creatures um and was a was in the animation director very briefly for fantastic mr fox oh i didn't know that was was the was the reference in some ways he would he would still get stuff from anderson about it i mean that Uh, makes sense but he left to go work on what i don't know maybe some people consider his best work Coraline's probably technically better than Nightmare, but it does not hold the same place in my soul and heart. See, I feel I feel very much the same way because I actually I rewatched Coraline recently, uh, sort of in preparation for seeing Wendell and Wilde. Um, but it really did occur to me watching it that I think I I get that it is a harder film to feel nostalgic for, and I think that is probably the biggest strike against it versus Nightmare. I think Nightmare is just such a huge part of everyone's childhoods, and it is just, it is a a classic in all the senses. You know, you will show that to your children and grandchildren. It is part part of the cultural zeitgeist in a way that so few movies are. Um, And Nightmare is easy to chew on. Like, it's technically a Halloween film. It has some horror. I'm looking at you, Oogie Boogie, in the scene. Um, yeah. But this is a horror film to me. It's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. I think and I, I, ha- I watch it. I, I have never been a big horror person. This is a well-known thing. Yes. I get forced mostly to watch horror films by uh, my horror-loving father. Um, but this was one I watched because I like stop motion. I haven't watched it since. I did want to watch it before this, but it is not on a streaming service. It's on a, the Roku channel, which is where I saw it. Yeah, the one thing I don't have. It's free. I didn't have it either until I wanted to watch Coraline on it, and then I just downloaded it. It's free. Yeah, I was lazy. This episode and ran brought out of time. to you by Roku, apparently. Um, there's Monster nothing Roku? except for it has a lot of stuff. Actually, has a lot of Leica films on there, so I would recommend okay. downloading it because you can see the box trolls mm-hmm. I saw on there. Uh, 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 Kubo and the, and the how many strings? Uh, two strings. It's been a while since so I've seen uh, that one. <laughs> me, oh, that one's really good. That's one it, of the best yeah. animated. Um, that's not what we're but, talking about, though. Right, but that, back to Coraline. Yeah, I think 
rewatching it, I was really struck by kind of the same emotion I have while like watching something like Spirited Away, which is like, I'm watching art right now. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this isn't just a good movie. This is actually cinema. Like this is the detail and the the texture. I think I kept going back to the texture. There's so many, there's the, the yarn, there's skin, there's fabric, there's dust, there's sand, there's food, there's flowers, everything I'm looking at. I can't believe is just, you know, something that's being manipulated by animators. It just, the world feels so wonderfully organic in a way that I feel like it's even more than real. Even, the, the, the textures feel more textural, I guess, is not a word, but I'm what I'm, I'm going to call it, than if it had been live action. Um, the, the use of color, the use of shadow, uh, the way that the creatures move, it's really just a work of absolute art. So I, I know, again, I feel like I'm always going to have that soft spot for Nightmare. And if, you know, asked, I would, I might place it above Coraline, but man, rewatching Coraline made me wish it showed up more on people's like lists of best animated films. Like I gets talked about every now and then, but I feel like it's really been overlooked. I mean, it is really spectacular stuff. I think so. I think a lot of the animation from that period is overall, like, claymation is overlooked. Because that was a really strong period. I feel like you hear more about Paranorman somehow than Coraline, even though Coraline is definitely the better film. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like Paranorman, Paranorman, I like Paranorman. Paranorman yeah. is good, and I think it exceeded people's expectations where people really expected Coraline to be good. But it is just, it is a marvel of animation. And it's ooh, so creepy. It's, it's really creepy, but, you know, again, still, I think there is still that, that uh, it's classic Selleck sense of childhood whimsy that's there, yeah. even despite that. I mean, and, and I think he uses that in a really effective way, where in the first half, you're really drawn into what is, you know, Coraline's specific fantasy, but is really, I think all of us can sort of relate to that just world of, you know, of pure, pure indulgence, that in the real world, you know, your parents are unfair and don't have any time for you, but you're their, their, you're their whole world in this other world. When you just travel through this portal, suddenly they're doting on you all the time. There's all the best food at the dinner table. Doesn't matter if it's not good for you. Your boring neighbors you have to do chores for invite you into this fantastic circus or theater. And it's just your whole world is everyone is doting on you and everyone is focused on you. And it's just nonstop spectacle and all of your senses are being used at once. There's not a second of boredom. Um, And it just, it really reminded me of like being a bored kid and just imagining like that the whole world could revolve around me. Um, Now as an adult, I am, you know, an adult who can realize that, ooh, that would, that would get old really quick. I really need time to myself. I really need to not have everything just be about me, me, me. Like, I don't want people depending on me all the time. Um, And of course, roughly at the point Coraline makes that same realization, the world turns and she discovers it's, you know, obviously too good to be true and much worse than it seems. Um, But I, I, I think that, 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 that turn is so effective because it really, I think Henry Selleck just really understands not just what a childhood dream sounds like, but what it looks like, what it feels like. Um, again, kind of similar to, to that world that he established in, in Nightmare, the kind of 
fantasy world that only a child would think into existence um, that, that exists in a, in a much more literal sense uh, here in Coraline. Um, but man, when everything goes spooky, boy, does it go spooky. Uh, again, mild spoilers for Coraline. Please see it. I know this one isn't as much of a given as Nightmare, but like you should go see it. So skip ahead if you don't want want spoilers for Coraline. But like when she goes into that back room and she's trapped behind the mirror and the, the souls of the children who have been killed by the other mother come out and are like, oh my God, you have to help us. She's stealing our souls. Like, wow, that's scary. Like that scared me as a kid. That scared me again on rewatch. Uh, it's just... I don't, I, you know, I think there's some, something to say for adult fear that like, oh no, children being abducted and taken away and lured away, like that's like scary as a grown up. But like when you're a kid and like the people who you think are there to protect you and who you have sort of forsaken everything to be with, uh, turns out to be, you know, a, a, a predator in the very literal sense. Um, it's just really, it's just really sends a shiver down your spine. Um, I, for the life of me, cannot believe this thing got a PG rating. Um, that's crazy to me. Impressive, frankly. It's not very, it's so terrifying. I mean, it's it's so weird because Wendell and Wilde is PG-13. Like, I, I've seen <laughs> Wendell and Wilde now. I, I got to see it a little bit earlier than, uh, than expected. Um, but boy is there is there way more to warrant Coraline getting a PG-13 if if not well probably not R I feel like R would be a little bit a little bit harsh but this movie is not meant for small children I I guess I was probably like 12 when I first saw it and I was real creeped out I'd read the book first the the book is arguably scarier and the the, seeing in the movie is still ooh, seeing it on screen is pretty horrifying I mean there is talk about you know we we love talking about films where it could only be done in a certain medium um and i i think Coraline's absolutely one of those when when the other mother transforms into her full skeletal spider-like form the way she moves with that slightly jerky that little frames missing stop motion of it only only could be as scary in stop motion there's no world in which cg or traditional animation could have made that nearly as horrifying yeah, no, it, no, no good, no good, no like. It's it's wonderful. I I just adore Coraline. It's such a good movie. Um, it's very good. Uh, I uh, have so many feelings about it. <laughs> Most of that, I get scared. It's scary. It is. It is so legit scary. Um, yeah, but I do want to watch it again. You should, yeah, I would definitely recommend seeing it again. It is, it is very spooky. Um, but, but yeah, uh, let with, with sort of, as I mentioned before, we know there, Henry had a, had a long uh, gap in time between Coraline and his new film, uh, which is coming out on Netflix. Um, it was, so it's, well, let me do some quick maths here. I think it's 13 years, right? It's 13 years of failed projects. I, I know he was shopping around stuff for a long time. I know he was trying to make Wendell and Wilde work for a long time. Glad that he finally was able to find a home for it at Netflix. Um, glad Netflix is, is still, you know, for, for at least a little more time uh, producing some really great uh, animated films that don't find a home at the more traditional studios. Um, it's a real, sh- I mean, I don't know exactly what went down with Disney losing Henry Selleck, but 
how did they manage to lose Henry Selick? Like quote on quote. Uh, where was it? Nope, I lost it. A something something scheduling conflicts was somewhere in there. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm which sure always it's many things. I, I we got because he was working on Shadow King for the most of it, which got canceled. Rest in peace. Sounds cool. Yeah, it would have been cool. Then he was working, he was going to work on the adaptation of the Graveyard book. Oh, I know. I saw that. I'm so pissed. I mean, um, I know Ron Howard is doing it now, but like yeah. Graveyard, gra I read Graveyard book at the same time I read Coraline. Um, I think they, I think they came out either around the same time or I just, I'd read them both. Or, yeah, but two, 2008, yeah, Coraline was probably a few years before that. Um, but that would have been around the time that I read both of them. Um, and that really just made me light, lifelong love of Neil Gaiman from those two arguably children's books. Um, but man, I there is no way Graveyard Book, if and when it comes out, will be and nearly as good as it could have been under Henry Selleck's vision. I mean, do you, Katie, do you know anything about the Graveyard Book? Have you read it? I think I did read it. This is sounding slightly familiar. However, uh, this was so many years ago that I've uh, thrown all the knowledge of it out of my brain. For for a brief uh, synopsis, um, what what happened? What, the story of the Graveyard Book is that there is a literal baby who watches his parents get brutally murdered in front of him. He crawls into the graveyard and is raised by benevolent ghosts and also the, a ghoul who lives in the graveyard. And he just gets gets delightfully raised, uh, half alive, half dead. Um, how how does that not immediately call out for Henry Selick? I mean, it is it is literally the world of the dead viewed through this very small child's eyes as he grows up, not quite in the land of the living and not quite in the land of the dead. Like just on paper, that is a Henry Selick movie. Yeah. Sure. How we missed out on two two possibly very good Selick films in that time period. Also, that the Graveyard book got optioned to Disney in 2012. It has been 10 years. That is a film we may never see. Yeah, I was going to say it was announced in 2013 that Ron Howard would direct. Um, so yeah, that um, movie is not happening, which is silly. Uh, at a similar time, he was working on Wendell Wild. He's working on a tale of a, a tale dark and grim, which I can't find anywhere because when you look it up, you get um, a Netflix TV show, which is definitely mm. not his work. Um, huh. so interesting. He yeah, also definitely. in 2017 was signed on to do uh, the Little Nightmares video game, uh, their TV adaptation that was being produced by the Russo brothers. Also no knowledge on that. There's just a lot of posts of people going, so is this a lie? Was this just never happening? Uh, yeah. There oh, was a lot of, and this comes down to the thing that stop motion is really, really hard to get studios to fund. It is, you are investing in a 10 to 15 year project that you yeah. hope will recoup the money because right. it costs a lot of money to make. Probably maybe now equal to the amount of CGI budgets, but CGI can come on a much faster timeline because they overwork their animators. Justice for CG animators. Uh, that is absolutely <laughs> true. Not, not to mention Sorry, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to export uh, CG animation overseas 
yeah. um, because you don't need quite the same level of constant uh, technical and artistic prowess. Um, it can not, not that there's nothing artistic about CG. I mean, I know we were pretty harsh on CG on this show, but just to like give it a break, it's, it's still obviously a lot of art goes into it, but that's very much early on the front end and it can be, you can sort of ship it off to, uh, whoever you need to, uh, to just get a certain number of man hours behind it to rush it out faster than, uh, you necessarily can with stop motion where you just kind of have to, you treat it like a live action set. Like you just you have, you can't, you can't make it go any faster. There's, there is no, there is, there is a hard limit to how fast you can make stop motion. And it's, if anyone can do it, it's Henry Selleck. And even he is going to take many, many years. Um, It's it's expensive and it doesn't have a lot of people working in it. So it's very limiting to the studios, which is an absolute shame. Yeah. But like, they don't invest in it. Right. Like if Disney had let them go, let, let him go on to work on the graveyard book, you know, in, in 2012, we would have it by now. Like that being said, we would have it now um, versus them kicking him to the curb and him having to go get picked up by Netflix to spend seven years working on Wendell and Wilde instead. Um, that being said, as much as I've gushed over what could have been, um, we'll, we'll get to talk more about Wendell and Wilde. I believe next week we will, we will have a full episode on it. Um, but just to give my my hot take, uh, I think it's quite good. Uh, it's I'm so excited. It I would say it's probably closer to the level of James and the Giant Peach for me um, in quality, except that it is fully fully animated versus uh, James and the Giant Peach, which is partially live action. Um, I think it's un you know the 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 guy made you know five movies. One was bad slash no one saw it. Two were unequivocal classics and one is James and the Giant Peach which has you know a, a cult following of its own and is certainly very nostalgic for me um it feels almost unfair to add another film into that and to compare it to those um but with that in mind Wendell and Wilde is a lot of fun it you can definitely tell that there was a lot of heart that this is not like this was not like you know I know we've listed a lot of projects Henry Selleck could have worked on and was kicked off of I don't think you ever get the sense watching this movie that he put in any less than his whole heart and soul into it, um, which is another just staple of all of these films is that they never feel phoned in. Um, again, can't really speak to Monkey Bone. Maybe that one does. From what I've heard of it, the only thing people praise is the stop motion. So I, I, I got to imagine, again, that's where his heart really was and not in whatever weird adult shenanigans were happening in the rest of the story. Um, but when, when, you, when you see a Henry Selleck project, I think part of its charm is just knowing how much love went into literally every frame because every frame had to be lovingly animated. Um, it's, there, there was, there's no room for, for anyone just you know, giving partial effort. Everyone, everyone is doing their best and you, it makes you wanna love it. It makes it feel like something that was made special just for you, like a, like a gift from, from your favorite uncle. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like Christmas Day now. You know, it's yeah. like Christmas and you get like the homemade gift that you get. Like, you know, yeah, like maybe like you'd ask for the My Little Pony, you'd ask for the Hot Wheels, but like then your uncle comes in with like a scarf he knitted and it's like, well, it's not, you know, it's not as flashy. It's not as bright as these other things, but the My Little Pony and the Hot Wheels were forgotten about in two weeks and you're still wearing that scarf around 20 years later. So, Thanks, Uncle Henry. Aw, what a cute metaphor to end it on. 
I think that is a good metaphor to end it on. Um, but yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about Wendell and Wilde more in detail uh, next time. Um, really excited to chat about it. I think you're really going to like it, Katie. I think it's very much up your alley. Um, it's it's not as you're you're nodding so much. I'm afraid your head's gonna fall off the. It's not All right, this isn't a visual media. Not a visual uh, media. It was uh, Katie's head was vibrating for a second there. Um, but it is despite having the PG-13 rating, uh, is not nearly as scary as Coraline. It is it is decidedly a a more of a comedy film. I think honestly, I think it's more of a comedy than any of his films have been. Likely because uh, his co-writer was Jordan Peele on it. So obviously, Key and Peele uh, as the titular characters uh give a lot of a lot of humor to it so really looking forward to talking about that think you're going to enjoy it and hope the listeners enjoy us talking about it um but for now one last shout out henry Selick, you're the man we are happy to wait 10 years for your next project we hope we don't have to but we i'm always excited to see what you come up with next because you're you're our, our favorite uncle with our our favorite knits scarfs that's what you are we're putting this on a magnet <laughs> just like it's like a little cartoon of henry Selleck wearing like a really like comfy striped uh striped uh scarf yeah that says thank, uh, thanks uncle Selleck. thanks uncle Selleck. oh i love that oh <laughs> well we're gonna hop back into our cartoon time machine to go put that magnet up on the fridge i'm scarlet i'm katie we're your animates and we will see you the next time <laughs>